Jackie Bam. Welcome in everybody to the Clam and Jackie Bam show. Live on Twitch, here we are. It's a pleasure to see you here. Apologies in advance for any uh, errors you might hear with our advertisements. If you're gunning for the GTA ads as much as I am, you'll have to listen back in for a second time on YouTube and or Spotify. Technical difficulties aside, we are ecstatic to be here in the studio. Me, Babs, Ruby, our amazing producer, and our very special guest in the corner that you guys can't see yet. It's Peter Tyndall coming on live shortly. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah, Peter has come in all the way from Jajawarung country, which we really appreciate to celebrate his fantastic show at Buxton Gallery at the moment. But we are very lucky to be here on Bunwarung country, unceded country, paying respect to elders past and present, acknowledging that sovereignty has never been ceded. It's been a good uh, month or so of filling out the space on Kulin Nation land. Uh, if I might, I'll, I'll take us back a few weeks when we were Please. in high summer, but it was still like rainy, windy. And there was one night actually after we saw Slava's snow show when I was at the <laughs> Paris end of Collins Street, getting blown by the wind towards the trams, to the <laughs> towards the trams on Swanston Street, and the next thing I see, much like I'm being blown by the wind, is a little city mouse coming out of the Balenciaga store at about 11 p.m. at night, and then getting blown <laughs> down the street, and suddenly it's the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat city mouse, and then it kind of kept. It was just fun to see the mouse being blown around. Do you think that that was like uh, the invader species being shown by the wind where to go? Maybe. Yeah, I, I think it, it definitely <laughs> didn't seem to have the intuition it needed to get through the night. Fair enough. But I did. Well, yes, I'm also <laughs> lucky to be streaming in, spending most of my time on Rondri country, but heading to Noongar land in Perth tomorrow. Excited to dive in the water there. Um, feels good to be here. Celebratory day, a special Valentine's Day episode. Thank you to all of our listeners that sent us in juicy topics to debate that we'll get to very shortly. Quickly, special mention. Special mention is that this is the last time we'll be seeing you by correspondence. In just a few weeks, you will get to see what we look like in the flesh. Exactly how bad really my good. rash is. <laughs> I spoke too soon last episode. I said my skin looked flawless and then shortly developed chin pimples as a kind of like uh, revenge skin attack. But we'll be in the flesh at M Pavilion on March the 4th with... Cool DJs, which we'll cool discuss <laughs> very <laughs> shortly. <laughs> no, you'll, you'll hear about it, but come Saturday, March 4th, it's 4 to 8 p.m. To be clear, from 4 to 5, we're doing the Clam and Jackie Bam show live, and then for three hours, it's the hottest DJs in town. We'll kick things off with Kalyani, then we'll move to... Pons uh, Island, then, then Slam Ross 1000. Babs and I are planning on visiting the Risky Playground in Docklands as one of our journeys. I don't know if anyone's heard of Risky Playground, but apparently they just built this... I think people might have to wait to find okay. out if they've ever If you heard haven't it. heard about the Risky Playground, you will be hearing about it at M Pavilion on the 4th of March, 2023, 4pm. We'll see you there. The 
Rumor has it that M Pavilion, that glorious tent on the lawns across from the NGV, has booked the Clam and Jackie Bam show. And if those philosophers and boy lovers have found that kind of nerve well then, there may not be much hope left for us now. March 4th with us on March 4th for a live Clam and Jackie Bam show accompanied by the musical stylings of Kalyani, Ponzu Island, and Slam Ross 1000. This is blasphemy. This is madness. Madness? This is what we call paths at M Pavilion. March 4th with us on March 4th from 4 to 8 p.m. I, Babs and I have changed our working relationship where I just let them take over the ads and so now I get to hear them for the first time and wow, you get me every time, man. Thanks, babe. Touched, touched <laughs> for the very first time every time. Where does it come from? <laughs> that one was, this is Sparta. But, and it took me a minute. I listened to a few hours last night of um, this is Sparta remixes. The fountain of inspiration. <laughs> it's, I will march with you, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I'll see you then. Uh, with with a similar amount of rigor and vitality, I'll bring you now to the much anticipated love debate of 2023 Valentine's Day. Love. Let's debate. Uh, to give you some context, in high school, I was debating captain a year prior to when most people would be debating captains. That is so shocking. Yep. Shocking news. <laughs> I did. Um, I didn't do debating, but I did the law one, moot court. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to the states for that. Really, state finals. I didn't get that far. My favorite fake, fake kind of um, antagonistic word fight was um, I spent a period doing mock mediation when you were instead of like um, an antagonistic court, you were in a mediation room and you would very like kindly and rationally work through your problems together with the other people. Was that? part of your parents divorce or a more like school-based experience it was when I was still treating people really badly mediation like what do you mean where you would mediate like a corporate thing or like a personal thing well actually in Australia when you first get separated for a year before you can get divorced um the courts try and push you to do mandated um mediation first which is more it's meant to be a cooperative uh, form of decision making and resource redistribution. Wait, I'm having a memory come back to me about debating mm. and it's coming back. <laughs> this is really funny, actually. There was this really um, nerdy group of debaters in the year below me that asked me to come in as like an emergency, like what's it called? Rock star like, shift. Like a rock star shift, like yeah. a replacement. Yeah. And I was really nervous and we talked about like, I don't know, imports in China or something. But then afterwards, the mum of the star debater and that team came up to me and was like, thank you you just saved the day you did it you did it <laughs> and i was like literally a debating rock star wow which leads us to this debate this Babs debate. and i both uh maybe might disavow our debating past and i actually met people at uni that were like international debaters mm -hmm. sally rooney beloved uh lit girl world champion of debating did you know that yeah i did know that um you've told me really <laughs> makes you love you, it it makes you think really yeah and then she turned to novel writing um maybe we should turn to debating we thought we would do rather than the traditional love line format a debate where we would have a proposition and then have to be stuck in a affirmative or negative uh 
argument. So I'm a yes man. I'll be affirmative. Cam's a critic. She'll be neg. This is how we're going to go. First, we will do a lightning round back and forth. Cam will read out some crowd submissions one at a time and we each get to say one argument. There's no back and forth. And then we have two topics for which I will give my affirmative response. Cam comes in with the neg. I get the right of rebuttal. Cam gets the right of rebuttal. We call it a day. All right. Can I say who submitted them? No. no. All right. I'm just going to pick some random ones and this is a quick one. It's possible to be in love with someone that you don't like. You're affirmative, I'm negative. What's the affirmative position? It's possible to be in love with someone you don't like. The affirmative is that we can often have a chemical dependency on something we don't even like. I've been speaking to people recently who are addicted to their vapes, their vaporizers, but they don't even like how it tastes or what it does to them. I feel like they spend most of the time being like, oh, I really hate this, but they're hooked. It's and possible I, to be in love with mango I, ice. I, th- I think in the same way as your uh, ice lychee might um, love you and leave you, love can be the exact same thing. And yeah, repulsion. Yeah, repulsion can really get you going in the gut. I think negative, I think true love is integrally linked to true like. Um, It's all about, you know, that spiritual connection on a higher plane and a vape isn't love, you know? Next. Next. Love hurts. Affirmative? Love hurts? Okay, yeah. Um, Again, I'll speak to the chemical (laughs) front of these things. Uh, That being, being in in love for the very first time right now and surreptitiously developing early early days developing a full define love a full body (laughs) rash that has endured for over six (laughs) weeks i have to say that chemically there is something really dangerous about this thing called love and it it stings it cracks it hurts it burns do you think your full body rash um and the pain that that comes with has been diminished by love diminished like as in do you think that the rash hurts but love doesn't and that love has made the rash hurt less no i think i am (laughs) arguing affirmative to the fact that love hurts so does the rash (laughs) and that all of the chemicals we put into our body whether they be the natural chemicals on the skin of a zucchini or not they can still hurt you my mum always said moderation is key and too much of anything will hurt you does making love hurt with a rash (laughs) depends <laughs> how much lube you um i don't want to do i come I on come right, on okay. play the game what am i negative, negative. Love hurts. why doesn't love hurt love is the most amazing spiritual fabulous life-affirming thing that can happen i think the other question that we have to ask here is like are we talking about always talking about romantic love we're always talking about romance no 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 love. it's a really good question i'm not arguing because Love hurts is like a very negative, hetero, nuclear family, pain within uh, capitalist patriarchy, etc. You're set up for disappointment. Um, as Lauren Ballant says in, what's the, cruel optimism. I don't know if you guys have ever heard the theory of cruel optimism. It's this idea that like your effective emotional life always sets you up for failure underneath our hetero-capitalist patriarchy, etc. And romantic love is like a key uh kind of set up or like structure that means that you're always set up to be disappointed you're always set up to end up at love hurts because of the way that our society is structured so 
in order for love not to hurt and for me to get out of the negative position, we need to totally revolutionize society. Perfect. One, <laughs> of, one of the greatest learnings from my parents' divorce was have no expectations, especially of an, any idea of unconditional love, throw it out the window. Zero expectations, you'll never be disappointed. All right, what about this one? It's totally fine to eat garlic before a date slash hookup. This is a quick answer. Quick answer. Quick round. My mum tells an anecdote from, <laughs> <laughs> from, from 1982 about a girl in her year level who would like come home all the time after a first date and be like, what's it going to take for me to get a second date? Um, and the, Put away and the, the garlic bag. The story goes that her, her mum would feed her raw garlic Shame. every time she was going on a date. And she was fine. She obviously had friends. She still showed up for school every day. And I'm sure she graduated and like, kept going this is an easy one for me uh it's totally fine to eat garlic before a date slash hookup no done okay <laughs> okay now we can do the real one all right Ooh. ready this is a big one okay <laughs> consensual heterosexual sex is impossible is the topic so this is a theory brought forward by feminist theorist Andrea Dworkin. And also, like, listeners, you know, while you're out there Twitch streaming and Peter in the audience and Ruby too, really think about it. You've heard Babs and I do a demo. I'm Neg. Babs is affirmative. Can heterosexual sex ever be consensual, truly? What do you think? So, the argument is... Why would you even ask that question? Yeah, who the (laughs) fuck asked that? That's classified information. Yeah. Um, Okay, no, I can be a feminist for a minute. Um, the, the argument is that within heterosexual (laughs) patriarchy capitalism, it's an entire system within which there's no ability to have any kind of free will. You are socially positioned, socially constructed. It might be on the basis of class, race, or gender. They're normally all related, to be honest. Um, but the, the bottom, the bottom line is that within a system where people have different, levels of power traditionally if we're talking about heterosexuality where genders are differentiated girls and boys are made to be different and that difference is usually about power it doesn't really make sense to go in on a contract which assumes you have an equal basis and it doesn't take proper account of the limitations of trying to create a contract about things that are intangible like emotions now that's the broad level theory <laughs> if i might bring it down to the actual Um, In social justice frameworks, uh, when you're considering questions of um, unequal distributions of power and resources, you should always start from the people who are um, least benefited by the system and try to understand it from their perspective. So, so, you know, often in feminist theory, you might assume the, the people who are having the worst time are the women. But if you hang out on the internet for just a minute, you might hear about a community known as the no, incels. Out of my negative. <laughs> just wait, just men wait. can't consent under So, so incels are people who are involuntarily celibate, and in that word involuntarily, they are pointing to the fact that they have no will and no choice in the fact that they can't get a root. It's something that is imposed upon them because of their social position, mm. because of their class, because of the way they look. They are cut out of the resource distribution of women. And if I might give a personal anecdote. Please. This, this, <laughs> <laughs> Indulge us. <laughs> this shit is real, okay? Because 
You, be, you I, were once a... I, <laughs> no, you were never. I, Long term, fine. But short term, <laughs> you still got late. <laughs> okay, all I know is I was on the prowl for years, okay? I was like out. I was like, anyone want to fuck? I'll do it. It wasn't until I... So was a few months ago took off my glasses and shaved my legs. Consensual heterosexual sex is unavoidable with Babs if you met them in the street. <laughs> Suddenly, everyone wanted to fuck and people I have had sex with were like, wow, you look really great. When you shaved your legs. I swear to God. No, Do you really mostly, think that was, was mostly the taking that, off the glasses. That's taking what? off the glasses, 20 people, including like doctors, academics, <laughs> friends, exes, randoms were like, whoa, you have a face? You fully have a face. Yeah, and it completely changed things for me. Really made me feel like 90s rom-coms are real. Did you feel internal confidence? Or do you think it was externally, objectively, you looked better? It was all bullshit. Like, yeah, (laughs) I guess. I guess what I've learned is also, like, yeah, taking it away from the heterosexuality thing. I just learned, like, people, if you want to be, look gender ambiguous then you are only going to be able to fuck gender ambiguous people, which is not a problem, but it is sad. And it really showed me that this is a proper superstructure in the Marxist sense of things. There is little choice in the matter, but like the incels on the internet, if you can look smacks, maybe there's hope for you. When I come back to my rebuttal, I'll give my vision for (laughs) what what is possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your argument. I left debating in high school for a reason. Give me your argument. So what's the statement? The statement is consensual heterosexual sex is impossible. And I'm the negative. So I have to say that it is possible. You can do it. No. Yeah, it is possible. It is possible. Yes. Tell us. Firstly, and this is hard to refute. I've done it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like to go into the details of how and when, but I know once or twice I've hit that achievement. Yeah, You signed the contract? I knew that I had achieved fully consensual mm-hmm. heterosexual sex yeah. at certain moments in my life. Other times, sure, I wasn't so sure. Um, <laughs> I guess I think that, okay, what I was thinking about when I was thinking about it was, I don't know if anyone's ever seen the movie Before Sunset or the trilogy um, of Ethan Hawke and Julie Delphi playing a couple that meet. It's an amazing trilogy that's very romantic where they meet. Um, the first one is they're like in their early 20s and they meet on a train going to Vienna and they spend the night overnight together before sunrise that's the first one and they fall in love and, and it's like, literally three hours of yeah, them on a train me. this is my it's, section it sucks yeah yeah, yeah. You go, you go. it's about how can you meet someone and fall in love that one time the second time they meet it's like 15 years later they've never seen each other again and then by chance he tracks her down and he's like oh no she tracks him down and she's like I've thought about you all that time and it's like this crazy thing where they've passed been like ships in the night and then they're like actually we're meant to be together we have true love. We're going to be together. The third movie, 15 years on from that, they've had children together. They've settled down. She's working as like a high-powered UN executive and he's like a flailing bohemian writer. They live in France and live this like boho life. There's an amazing scene where they go into this hotel room together. They've been gifted by their friends and their, their friends are like, go, have a night together. Um, forget about the kids. Forget about your plebeian uh, married life. Redis- rediscover the desire, re-explore your life and marriage with each other. And then they go to a hotel room. He starts sucking on her breast. You think they're going to have sex. And then they have this fucking massive fight that's like about their interpersonal marriage, but also about like 
the dynamic of broader men's and women's relations in French late capitalist equitable society. She's like, I will never be equal with you. My life is so hard. And then he says the most controversial thing where he's like, your life's not fucking hard. Look at you. And he's basically like, feminism has meant that you can have everything that you want and you're whinging. You're being a massive whinger. Life is like actually really good for you. Like stop being such a baby. You have way more things than people had previously. And it's like this question of like, well, are like kind of upper middle class white women in the elite centers of the Western world whinging when they say they can't have heterosexual sex that is conventional or consensual? Maybe I would be. One time a guy did try and have uh, vaguely non-consensual sex with me and I had to sit on his face and I think he responded well and it was fine. <laughs> so <clears throat> in return, I might, I might ask, where do we go next? We live in this system. <laughs> it's the Hare Krishnas on the street. They come past every night. Um, it's the preamble to the drum circle that we might hit up later if anyone wants yeah, to come. see you there, everyone. Um, okay, so... We're in a system, we don't have any choice, what do we do? It's quite similar to waking up today and you're in the job market, right? You need a job, <laughs> you're obviously not in an equal power relationship with your boss, what are you going to do? Uh, and I think the answer is to be as entrepreneurial as possible if you're going to accept the playing within the contract system. You take what you can get and you fight with it. Or Dworkin would disagree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm no Dworkin though. I would, I would say <laughs> as well that there's an alternative, which is to say the system doesn't work. We live in a neoliberal economy, regardless of what Jim Chalmers wants to tell us. <laughs> and um, within this structure, there's an obsession with contracts as the basis for society and all of our relationships, but it doesn't actually meet up with our expectations and experiences of reality. So I would argue that because it's impossible, we should be trying for different things. We should be trying to connect and produce into subjectivities which aren't based on the idea of us just being two people signing a, a contract, but maybe one collective being with no writing utensils, no e-signatures, no briefings, just yes. love. <laughs> <laughs> love. Love wins. I agree. All right. You agree? <laughs> Peter's waving his hands and saying love is all around. I think that that's a strong sign to us to like move on. Move on. Move on. Move on. Okay. Oh, God, please deliver us. Okay, okay next question. Fi final one. The theme is love will tear us apart. If I may begin by defining the <laughs> oh God, this is punishing. <laughs> if I if I may begin <laughs> by defining on. the scope of the question. Can we go back to the conversation part. <laughs> Us is the Australian polity. If no! I could if I could take you back in the last couple of years to some major scandals. Gladys, Berejiklian, Daryl, Maguire. <laughs> um, the other one on the federal level, what was it? The Mm, one sec. Oh, when Adele. What about when Adele Mills, the Fremantle Greens member, got caught um, effing Troy Buswell, the head of the Liberal Party? Oh yeah, that the was good. the seat sniffer. sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, Barnaby, Barnaby Joyce. Joyce. Barnaby Joyce slept with the staffer, and he doesn't even know if the child is his. Ooh, okay, <laughs> so when when these um, political figures. Who, you know, we might want, have wanted to criticise for their really shit neoliberal policies, but instead we got really distracted by their personal love. Uh, I know in our earlier argument we said love hurts, love has all these bad chemicals, blah, 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 but truly love should inspire people to do bigger and better things. But 
Unfortunately, in Australia, we have a minimalist constitution. It's only got about, I think, 100, oh my God. 154 sections. Get me back to Valentine's and, Day. And as we know, there are, there are talks at the moment to change up the constitution. And I've just been thinking, we need some sections on love. It was obvious that on the federal and the state level, there was no institutional capacity to deal with the love of these people. Scott Morrison had to come out after Barnaby and make a rule that ministers couldn't fuck staffers. But... That's not the same as a legislated decision which can be held accountable by committees and so forth. Ministers should love staffers. Min- ministers-, <laughs> <laughs> ministers should love staffers. The constitution should have sections for love. You can and only therefore- fuck people from your work if you love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually watched the ICAC hearing, which is like, they ask Gladys, they're like, so you've had so an intimate relationship? And she's like, mm, I guess. And they're like, well, why didn't you say anything about it? She's like, my test was if I'd introduce him to my parents. And since I would never do that, it wasn't serious she, enough. She Meanwhile- had to introduce him to the Herald Sun instead. Meanwhile, he was like, I loved her so bad. Um, that I got like a $50 million airport contract through like bullying people with her name. It, no, it was um, Clay Clay shooting Shame. was his thing. Um, but yeah, more institutional ding, capacity ding, ding. for love. This is the debate administrator. Your time is up. Okay, give me the neg. <laughs> okay, negative. Love will tear us apart. How will the Australian polity not be torn apart by love? How, Cam? Okay, well, I'm glad that you've actually brought that to me and to my attention. <laughs> Because my definition of us is me and my boyfriend, Moishi. And I have a really good example of how Where was my invitation? love will not tear us apart. You had your invitation, <laughs> you had your time, and now you're out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so the other night on Valentine's Day, um, we're not a really normie couple, you know, but we thought we'd go out on the town and have a little wine and dine to celebrate. And this is a story about how not love will tear us apart, but through no purpose or desire of my own love clearly tears tears other people apart it deters disturbs the populace we went to mario's we had a romantic pasta and then we went to the napier quarter for a wine and had a very dramatic altercation that i was not expecting and this is like not a specifically love related question but one that everyone can ponder what the correct i guess end point of this debate or debacle is please cam let us ponder So we went and sat down at the Napier Quarter, which is a nice wine bar in Fitzroy. And this really uh, awkward and nervous waiter who is about, I would say, 40 and clearly really loves very expensive wines came and served us. And he was like very uncomfortable. And he's like, you can sit inside if you want. Your arms are crossed. You're clearly very cold. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I just want to sit outside. It's a lovely summer evening. Anyway, then Moishi accidentally dropped a latte glass on the concrete and it smashed everywhere. But it was a latte glass that he had bought in his own bag. The guy got some kind of deep rage stirred up on the inside of him. And Moishi was like, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. I'm a moron. Like I've dropped the glass on the ground. Like, oh. And the guy's like, yep, it's everywhere. Moishi's like, Pyrex glass, it's everywhere. And the guy's like, yeah, it's over there too. And then he goes inside and then comes back out with the dustpan and brush and then a takeaway box container. And he's like, I'd love to clean this up, but since it's yours and you bought it here, I think you should clean it up because I'm really busy. And then gave Moishi the dustpan and brush and the takeaway container, but in a very uncomfortable and weird way. Like he was trying to insinuate that Moishi was like this, like, I don't know, horrible 
aristocrat like punishing him for his service role and it was so awkward and then the girls next to us started laughing because it was so awkward say what are you thinking initially I'm, i'm asking you do you think your love tore this man apart I honestly wish I didn't have to say this, but yes. <laughs> well, something was deeply, deeply like torn in his heart. He was so angry, and then of course he got even more triggered because when she was sweeping it up, being like, "Oh, I'm a chimney sweep at the Navy <laughs> Quarter," <laughs> and I was like, "Sorry, I've worked in hospital for a billion years. Like, if some dickhead came in and smashed their latte glass over the ground, I would immediately clean it up and then go inside and be like." What a moron. Yeah, but, but, wh- but love, what if that dickhead showed up with his gorgeous girlfriend on and Valentine's love? Day? <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, I don't have to make any kind of argument here. The facts are here. Listen that I just won the debate. That I just won the debate. <laughs> love will not tear us apart, but it may tear others. And I'm sorry to see it, but I'll still pay the bill. <laughs> too many cooks. Too many cooks. Hey babe, it's Blair here, or as I'm known outside of work. Just a friendly heads up that if you're hoping to make some extra cash this summer, do not come to the brothel. It's goddamn January. The clients are with their families, and there are quite literally too many girls in here to count. Go somewhere else and be a slut for free. I heard Hospo is hiring moi. Back in the business. So many listeners requested that we do some uh, investigative journalism, as we like to call it, about Bianca Sensori. Um, And it's good to explain this to listeners that might not know who she is and also Peter. Did you know who Bianca Sensori is? All right. So Bianca Sensori is the new wife of Kanye West. He does know. Uh, (laughs) International rap superstar and maniacal BPD anti-Semite. Um. She is also a Melbourne girl and from the suburb of Ivanhoe. So hot on the trail of trying to figure out who is Bianca Sensori, what's her story, what is her life with Yay like. We went to a burger shop in her home suburb of Ivanhoe to get some goss. What did we discover? Some stuff. Some stuff. So (coughs) there were a lot of rumours swirling around two weeks ago that Kanye West was in Melbourne. People thought they cited him at A1 Bakery. But I, for a fact, think if that happened, we would know because there would be photos of him with that really good-looking set of twins who work the there. The hot twin went on Channel 9 or something. Really? And yeah, because they thought that he was at A1 and then the hot twin famously went on 9 and was like, nah, he's not here, <laughs> but come by for the Zata. <laughs> um, and in the end, I'm of the belief that Kanye West has way too much at stake in his vision of himself and his uh, brand autonomy to just waltz around in the name of love. I think he came to Ivanhoe in Melbourne to shut down a burger shop. So there's a burger shop in <laughs> Ivanhoe. Uh, not in person. Legally he visited before he met Sensory. <laughs> yeah, he visited legally, much in the same way as we create contracts. For we, visit, we, we legally visited <laughs> Ivanhoe. <laughs> Um, so it's called College Dropout Burgers. It's been open for about a year. And originally it was explicitly inspired by Kanye West's first album, College Dropout. The burgers were all Kanye West themed and they they put this teddy bear sign everywhere. It was like Kanye galore. Then the people who ran the shop noticed that Kanye West started following them on Instagram. 
and the owner of the shop had the following to say. Okay, so he he told Broadsheet that Ye is his fucking hero. And when he found Kanye West watching his stories and following him, he posted, what is happening here? Two question marks. <laughs> I must have found God because Kanye West has been deep in our stories. Over 10 story views now. This is what he Why said. Why would in- he post that? Because it... Kanye West is his fucking hero. It's a bit desperate. Like, Sensory would never have done that. And you know he had way more than 10 story views on her. I don't mind a bit of celebrity desperation. When I was a teenager and the new iteration of Puberty Blues came out, every day in woodwork class, which I got a B in, um, I would take Snapchat photos of myself. And this is when I I lived with a cat as a teenager before I got desensitization treatment. So, again, I was actually... I had a head-to-toe rash. It's amazing rash. how much info you managed to bring in. in the sentences just go new directions every time. Yeah, it's called Talmudic logic. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, every day in woodwork, I would hold up a piece of wood and take a low-angle <laughs> shot of my many chins with the rash on them and just say hi and send it to Sean Keenan, the really? star of Puberty Blues. He was Blues. very hot. And after a couple months, I got I got a response. What did he say? Hi, Meg. Please stop messaging me. <laughs> nah. He messaged you said, hi, Meg. Hi, Meg. That's going to be a creepy. Don't you really? I asked for it. True. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you even want consensual heterosexual DMs with Sean Keenan? <laughs> <laughs> but then... Ultimately, I feel like I'm being like slightly sexually harassed by this print of a naked man's body that keeps falling on my shoulder. Um, um, okay. Ultimately, the I think Kanye shop. West came to Ivanhoe to shut down the burger shop. He received a cease and desist. He gave a cease and desist letter to the owners and threatened to take them eventually to the federal court for, for copyright. Copyright. That's crazy. Now, when by the time we went to visit, unfortunately, it's a no-name shop. <laughs> Over the top of all of the Kanye West insignia, it says, new branding coming soon. No logo. It was very typographic, actually. No cool. logo. Do not think there is a logo here. Like, very meta. But they're in the process of redesigning their brand communication. The artist they're using is someone named... Zion, which could get them in a little bit of <laughs> other other trouble on the north side, um, but at they the have to prove that they're not like extreme. <laughs> yeah, that they're not participating in the soft power of the Israeli military industrial complex of the Yeezy industrial complex. West. Um, instead, <laughs> the, now the it's other just West. generally uh, college dropout themed. So the burgers now are named after Steve Jobs. Mark Zuckerberg was Bernie one? Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Was he? I didn't realize he was a college dropout. He probably dropped out of a master's or Bill something. Bill Gates or something. Bill Gates. All De- that definitely kind of shit. not us. Um, and but when we got to the counter and Cam did her thing, where at first she plays all sweet and cute, and yeah, then she kind of just like comes in journalism. <laughs> they re- they were. I will say I've never seen people. I've approached many people with this. Uh, oh, can we have a burger? Tell us everything you know about Bianca Sensori approach. They were traumatized. The staff there have been harangued by the media. And they have – it's kind of funny because even we went down that trail, but they really have, like, no connection at all to Kanye West or Bianca Sensori except for the clear facts that they're in Ivanhoe, Sensori's suburb of birth, and that West sued them. And he still follows them on Instagram. The guy that served us was this, like, very sweet, kind of pallid, incel looking nerdy early 20s guy. And he's like – he was like – 
sure, you can have a burger. Sure, you can have a vanilla thick shake. And then when we started asking him questions, he backed away like about half a meter away from the counter, which he was behind a COVID plastic screen and just like looked at the floor and started shaking his head. He put his he finger like, up to his lips as if there were like recording devices around. And yeah, like, he did. Shh, don't even, don't even ask. Like shaking his head ruefully being like, no, 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 no. I'm like, what happened to you? What information have they been trying to get? What could you possibly give them? There are these rumors that Kanye has houses all around the world, which are like continuous gay sex parties. They're like dungeons of sorts. Apparently in Paris and London, he has one and they just function all the time. So maybe the college dropout boys were given a tour or something. I have no idea what lurks behind that business, but I don't know if it's only cheeseburgers. We had a delicious meal there. I had a good, uh, very thick vanilla thick shake. Babs had chicken that had cheese on it initially, which they can't eat given their skin condition. They replaced it. And the girl was really nice that served us. She had less of a kind of frantic, like, I've seen things look in her eyes. Yeah. More to the point, though, I think the thing that I like about the burger shop and the crazy fact that it's in Ivanhoe is that there's just something about imagining Kanye walking down that street on a visit with his new wife. Have you thought about what their relationship is like? I don't really know what that many relationships are like, I guess. Mm. I've only been in one. Can you imagine? I've I've thought about it. Uh I in the 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 visions that come to my mind of his previous marriage, I see a lot of roses. Mm. Like the vision of romance but not the eventuation of it. Yeah, lots of gifts. I think so. And like she's a doll. I think, okay, so for context of who she is, I think it is a crazy story for Melbourne and one that makes you think about, yeah, why people choose to be with other people, like what what her motivations are. She's like, for those who haven't done the deep dive Daily Mail research that I have, a Melbourne girl, she attended Corey Baptist, Cary Baptist Grammar School. She did a Master's of Architecture at the Uni of Melbourne. You said you had a class uh, with yeah, her. Oh, yeah, I had a class with her. What class did you have uh, with her? It was called Going Places, Travelling Smarter, and it was a critical approach to um, travelling for Uni Melb students. Which she clearly brought with her when she moved in 2020 from her job as an architectural designer at a Collingwood design firm to LA, the Wait, City I, of Angels. I can add that, like, four weeks into the class – she like pops her hand out and erupts to the whole class. She's like, oh my God, guys, I've just realized some people fully can't travel. Like you can't travel if you don't have money. What? Was she literally she in your class? She was really serious. She was this really serious. Like four weeks in Revelation. You really I, remember her? I was four weeks into writing blog posts about Istanbul and the Blue Mosque. And she was like, holy shit, what do people who don't have money do when they want to travel? I think this is a... I mean, I'm not discounting your personal experience, but I will say that all of the people that we've spoken to that knew her personally have said across the board, very smart girl, savvy girl. Yeah, I think there's a difference between street smarts and regular Mm. smarts. We've seen her uni grades confidentially. She did very well. She's smart. She's smart, but I I think there's obviously a little bit of Ivanhoe coddling going on there. Well, that's the other thing that I've been fixating on imagining about their marriage, which is just like... To me, there's something so just deranged and funny about imagining, like, you know, she was obviously part of the, like, Melbourne micro-celeb scene and she was very ambitious, but she's still a girl from Ivanhoe. Imagine her going, she gets married to Kanye and then she brings him back to Ivanhoe and imagine the meet the parents when they're, like, obviously this kind of bourgeois family from, like, a probably nice little, like, 
couple million dollar property with a little pool and some terracotta tiling in Ivanhoe. They like go to put on a spread for him, but it's like, how could you even put on a spread or like impress someone that comes from a parallel universe of Yeezy wealth? Because we have delicious organic produce here that America could never dream of. Eating food so? that doesn't taste like water. I th- I think any American celebrity that got to taste a meal made with produce they from would Toscano's be, would Kanye move here West forever. would be lucky to have an organic zucchini <laughs> from your Thornbury Garden. You're right. <laughs> um, solicitates aside, yeah. I mean, when people in COVID were having more and more visions at the end of the world. Uh, celebrities were famously coming down here. Zac Efron in Byron Bay. It's true. James Cameron in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's like people... Isn't he from Australia or New Zealand? Maybe. There are celebrities hiding out around the place and... Well, Zac Efron dated the girl from the Byron Bay General Store, which just shows... See? Maybe the thing here is not the vegetables, but those beautiful Aussie ladies. You should stalk her as well. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I wish... I don't know if I wish all the best to Bianca Sensori. Why not? Because I kind of feel like she's made a pact with the devil. Like he, I support you and your culture. And he said some really bad and crazy things in the last few months when he was dating her. I kind of feel like it's like she has made some kind of calculation or transaction that is a serious gamble. But if you, I reckon if you love someone, you believe in their potential to come good. And like, you know, when you have people in your life who are really mentally ill, you like deal with it and you hope for the best for them. She probably really believes in his capacity to like. I reckon Kanye should move call on. Beyond Blue when he's here. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon that could really help him. Yeah, the real problem is America's healthcare system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sensory overload. If anyone else has any like true insights into her, I'd be interested to know. But ne- for now, I'm excited to see how it plays out. Last debate. Bianca Sensori and Kanye West's marriage will last to the end of 2023. You're affirmative. I'm negative. We heard a rumour that they got married, it's legally binding, but there's no prenup. I am interested to know, you know, my parents got married in South Africa and they got divorced in Australia and that really fucked shit up with the prenup. I'm interested to know when the marriage dissolves, which country's marital laws will have the effect on the capital property. I think she'll be back at A1 Bakery with $1 billion in December. <laughs> okay. This advertisement is brought to you by Mint Dental. I'm a 47-year-old smiley woman. You're a 40-something smiley man looking for a dinner date. Call Bridget to connect on 0422 I'll be smiley. Welcome, Peter Tyndall. Uh, it's a great honour to be with the, the legends. Nah, it's, Hold it's radio mutual. Stars. Hold your Hold mic close to your oh. face. That's the technique. Yes, you're get, killing it. Get technique. Yeah. Technique. Go back to your musical past. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to introduce Peter, Babs? I can introduce Peter. Um, Peter first came into my purview maybe more than a year ago now. 
Um, I was doing some research into the so-called recession artists, artists who made work at a similar time together, who I've been told kind of used to just show up to openings all together amongst all the old folks and kind of came to know each other as friends and artists during a particular period in the 80s, which is, yeah, quite a specific moment in Australian art history and arts funding. Um, and were known to make works which I would say used, they're called, they, they're called recession strategies. So ways of dealing with uh, limited funding, limited opportunities for works to be bought and a lot of making which used um, sort of ready-made material or paper and works that could be composite. So works that could be put together in parts were like massive bodies of work which continued over time or which could be distributed um, by copying. So some of the initial works of yours that I knew about were um, the hand report. Actually, when I first started making art like three years ago, the hand report was one of the first artworks I looked at. Hand, hand space? Hand space, hand sorry. Space. I'm thinking of the blunt report as well. Oh, yes, yes. So hand, hand, hand space was um, a, a leaflet that you yeah. created. What year did you do that Here's in? Here's an example. Here's an exhibition. <laughs> this is a hand space exhibition. Yeah. And uh, the manifesto would describe this and say it's another object. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yes. The uh, microphone so manifesto. This is a hand space exhibition. Yes. Yeah, this yes. is a three-part. Three it's a triptych. <laughs> it, it triptych. That's yeah. right. Very yeah. medieval. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, from there I, I came and hung out with you at Bonds of View in Hepburn Springs. Yeah. Got to see your expansive collection of everything including some Japanese prints a lot of things a yeah. lot of things we had a good yeah. time yes um, you took a lot of notes <laughs> their Babs yes. loves taking notes they're always yes. do they get read hard to know maybe so Peter's joining us from Bonds of View Peter's house in Castlemaine maybe you could talk us through your afternoon how did you end up on the Clam and Jackie Bam couch Peter I, w I was summoned <laughs> <laughs> yes um, how did I get here uh, what tram did you take oh it was the 64, I think. Oh, nice. I was, yes. I was waiting for the 96A, which never came. Who knows? I looked up the map. I know. It's hard to get here. Yes. But you came from Buxton. So Peter's got I a show did, on at yes. Buxton at the moment, which yeah. we're really excited to talk about. You yeah. went and took some friends there. Um, yes. I had friends come down from Canberra today, uh, which was great. Showed them through. Um, and also the mysterious uh, uh, Wake Up Laughing. Yeah. Joined us. Yes, yes. we love Wake Up yes. Laughing. Wake Up Laughing, I think, is a listener of our show. Yes. So Wake Up Laughing is an Instagram account that's an amazing archive. Yes. What do you like about Wake Up Laughing? Uh, I like I like the name Wake Up Laughing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, uh, whoever that person is uh, or group of people, uh, they show work that no one else shows, which is um, in bl black and white prints from um, like Benita. Ely, something was shown yesterday. No one shows, talks about Bonita. So th these are my friends. We're all old now, mm. historical sort of footnotes. But um, I think Wake Up Laughing might be a younger person than I had initially thought because that, <laughs> that entity has a lot of knowledge and I, I suspect like you takes a lot of notes mm. and uh, is interested in, in all that stuff when when we were young and uh, and trying to work out ways. And, uh, yeah, so... 
you un- you un- you much. uncovered the source, but you won't anything. reveal it. I really respect no. that because we respect yeah. them a lot. Yeah, that a being lot of respect. Mm. That being said, your show's been on at Buxton now probably for s- six weeks. Uh, a, I, th- a I, month? I think it's on for something like I think it's on for four months, and we're about halfway through. Cool. Mm. Yeah. So heaps of people have gone. It's extremely yeah. popular. It's been really awesome to get amongst it with a whole bunch of other people. It's yeah. true. Um, yeah. So it's the... Today f- there were a lot of students and uh, the an incredible thing. Um, I had nothing to do with this, but it's on the VCE, uh, is that right? Uh, the year 12 oh, that's syllabus. Amazing. Really? Yes, it's listed, so... Um, what does it feel like, Peter, to be, have been making work for so many years and then have so many young people and, like, young students engage with it in that context? Um, it's great. I, I, I remember – so I've, I've got a Catholic background. I remember that famous Jew, um, uh, Jesuit thing about give me the child and I'll give you the man mm-hmm. sort of thing. So uh, it feels uh, – in a sense, it's a fabulous opportunity to speak to young people yep. just just at that stage when they're really sorting out w- what they like, what they don't like and all the rest. And there was a group going through today and uh, they were well th- into the exhibition so we didn't coincide much except when they were going past they were all looking because <laughs> that, that, that's, that's him. Uh, <laughs> but, what, but one of them uh, kind of broke away from the group and he joined our little group and he was clearly intensely interested and it was like I kind of sensed his future, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that this was someone, you know, year 11, year 12, and he was listening and he was taking notes. And, um, <laughs> but, but it's, you know, when you've worked for 50 years and um, there are ideas behind it and they're critical ideas and, and they're meant to be to do with ref- uh, both mm, negative critiquing, saying this is problematic, and positive critiquing, saying it could be this way. Um, to have that opportunity to get through to a, a young audience, um, you know, as Mickey Mouse Club used to say, the leaders of the, you know, tomorrow <laughs> yeah, and yeah. all of that. Well, that's fantastic because um, our group were very, uh, very aware of all that and um, and we were critical and we all sort of went uh, different ways and came up mm. with different, uh, uh, different respo- strategies, strategies or- responses, you know, it was kind. Of, it was sort of political, but it was private, and the private personal was political. All of that, and it, um, uh, so to mention a few names, uh, th- those of us who met in the early seventies, actually not the early eighties, right. um, uh, and we're all more or less at the same stage, somewhere around about early twenties. So John Nixon, uh, Jenny Watson were a couple. Howard Arkley um, and his partner um, uh, Elizabeth Gower. And myself, so we were very close, and uh, we, you know, like you two, we'd be talking all the time. And, and taking Sometimes I wish you would stop. No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, um, but taking positions, you know, and arguing straight, and then go, you know, going out together and all of that. And I think we sensed early on uh, that we were in it for the long run and so forth. And already Howard's, you know, he dipped out unfortunately twenty years ago, and and John very unfortunately, a couple of years ago. Um, so it's amazing uh, to be one of that group who's uh, getting some recognition and uh, one of the reviews talked about me as, as kind of one of a group and um, who had have had an impact and uh, we've 
all sort of gone in different directions. You know, Juan de Vila is, an, is another mm. of our generation. Um, Imance Tillers, uh, you were talking about using things. Well, he's, I don't know what the number of his canvas boards are, mm -hmm. but he used that massive system. So he's Hold a question. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, um, Wait, can I ask you a question, Peter? Yes. Something that I'd really love to hear you explain, and maybe some of our listeners will as well, because everyone's really interested in the show. So the kind of thing that I understand from the show that's like this broad survey of your practice from like the early 70s? Early 70s, yeah. Yeah, to now, is yeah. that after about 10 or so years of making art, or after a certain period of making art, you devise this system or like schema to understand your art through this like person looks at a work of art yeah. and this system i was wondering if you could just explain yeah how that system that you uh brought to your work came into being and how you see it now like yeah. what it is yeah yeah um yes uh within within a few years uh in mm, so I'll, I'll go back a little bit. Go back to the uh, start if you want. So you can go way back. A lot of Peter's works have photos and pa or like paintings oh. of Peter as a child uh, as well. Yeah, so okay, you so don't mind the start. No. So the earliest work in the show is a hand space exhibition mm -hmm. taken at the age of one. Um, <laughs> curly hair, my mother's done all beautiful embroidery on my jacket. It's a formal studio portrait. And I'm, so I'm, uh, I'm in this pose. And I'm holding a cube. Yes. Okay. So it's a studio portrait. Um, hair, neat, not, and well clothed. Uh, there are a few objects around me, and the one that I've picked up is a cube, a little like, like a, a wooden block. Like a wooden block, except mm. I think it was plastic and it had some colours. And uh, my mother gave me that photo when I was thirty, and by and it was in. I was in my early 20s when I had my breakthrough, so I'd been... All the works had become about a person looking at a work of art and all that stuff for many years, so at the age of 30, my mother gives me this photo that she's treasured all these years and says, you will look after it, and it's like a, a, a kind of a prophetic affirmation yeah. that mm. the first image I've got summed up everything I've done since. Mm -hmm. And I've written... It was as if when the studio camera light went off, it kind of set that as a, like a Jungian archetype that I, uh, th this moment of intense looking at, at of all things, a cube, mm -hmm. you know, West, the white, white cube gallery and all yeah. that stuff. So, um, so much since uh, has been about that. So now my interest is, uh, is about everybody looking at things and in that looking and that mental, con that, both perception, which is simply the eye and the brain and the body registering movement, shape, etc., over which we constantly lay conception, you know, with our different... Th th we name things, we disagree about the names of things, whether they're appropriate and all the rest. So how from moment to moment, just in the act of looking, the act of looking, the act of looking, the act, um, that that's how we're making ourselves and that's how we're making the world. So building meaning by watching things. Uh, by yeah, all, all or like participating all, all, in look. No, well, we are, we are participating in life. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, and I'm not. I think the uh, description of paintings and images that's gone to a certain limit. I think the thing I'm interested in now is consciousness and uh, 
and uh, um, ministries of love, mm. uh, ministries of, of, of perception and all of that, you know, because, I mean... Um, Can you explain what you mean by that? Um, well, yes, uh, I ain't going to study war no more. Um, what does that mean to you? Oh, oh, that's an old phrase from really? the from the sixties. And ain't gonna study war no more. Yeah. Um, what does it mean? Like asking for countercultural education, or mm, um, I think it was a chant, in part, like Pete Seeger and all those guys in the sixties. Uh, so the Vietnam War, and I, I went through conscription. Like another thing about our generation is that uh, uh, we all went through uh, conscription for males, so we all uh, were. We were obliged to be political, whether we wanted to or not. You either assented and potentially went to Vietnam if your name came out of a of a barrel, your your birthday number came out of a barrel, and I remember that. So I think that's why our generation have been more uh, culturally ideological and kind of broadly ideological and broadly critical, because we went. Uh, mm, it's. At secondary school, we kind of we were hearing all the reports of um, of the sixties in America, particularly the liberation movements there, and it seemed as if we'd missed them. But uh, it was catching up very quickly here. And uh, for instance, um, George Payton Ewing uh, Ewing galleries in the early seventies, mm. uh, uh, there was a, a very strong focus for uh, many, uh, well, for feminism in the uh, so critiquing the role of um, of women's art and what has happened and all of that. There was a lot of consciousness raising. Wasn't uh, it? It was a hideout as well, right? People would hide from yes. conscription there in, yes. the, in the George Patton Gallery at yeah. the Union House. Oh, in Union House. I remember being there for an all-night, a fantastic all-nighter where um, <laughs> certain notable and kind of out there uh, draft dodgers mm-hmm. um, were were supp- supposedly in the building and so the police knew about this, so the police had to be there and uh, so the place was full. No, you're not getting past us, say all the students. Um, and I, I remember films were running uh, her- running all night because the union was really functioning well then and I can remember seeing Hiroshima, Mon Amour and all these films at three and, and B- the Bergman films, so it was cool. all um, part of... Uh, the general thing of us against them and that's, uh, that's against uh, the government and the system and Vietnam and, yeah. and there were the big moratorium work, uh, moratorium, so they were against conscription and the role in, in uh, Vietnam. Um, they start, yes, I started first year architecture in 1970, so there were two moratoriums that year and the first one was over 100,000. And that was massive, and there hadn't been big protests like that. And I remember that the morning we came out, Henry Bolte, who was an infamous premier at the time, very conservative, and he was the one who got uh, Ronald Ryan, made sure he was hanged because he wanted to prove his point. That was a couple of years earlier. Mm. Um, I, I know this hanged, hanged. like in, physically in the 60s. hanged, hanged at Pentridge. Oh my God! So this was the same premiere, uh, the famous cinema. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and I know this is a long time for you, but it's yeah. part of my it's experience. Yeah, important part of it. A- and I think there's been a lot of con- there hasn't been a world war in between. I think musically, culturally, there's, it feels like it's been a continuum mm, right. to me. Um, I think we still have a lot of things 
um, yep. in, in interest across culture. Um, uh, it's a gen our generation remains connected. Uh, well, uh, critical. Like yeah. I, I listened to your conversation before, yeah. and uh, the language and the finesse I don't have because it's not exactly my generation. Mm -hmm. But 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 I recognise that you know mm. exactly in all the um, the consciousness raising. Particular, you know, it was fantastic because that you know that brought the, the blokes forward as well. Yeah, and um, and the uh, Andrea Dawkins and so forth. There weren't separatists. It wasn't separatist then. It right. was kind of all together. But each group obviously defines itself and. Uh, yeah. Um, Through that mm. lens of like continuity and connection, and I guess circuits, to make it cle clear visually what's going on, most of um, this exhibition is reflecting on uh, Peter's painting works. Mm. So Peter uses a traditional sign writing style. So these are massive paintings, but they are so perfectly painted with strong, almost like um, hard edge abstraction kind of vibe abstraction, or, but like super formal flat yeah, yeah flat lines sharp yeah. it looks like somebody has like painted a billboard and yeah, yeah um, meticulous they look like they could have been like fabricated or something and then the central um images that you repeat over and over in them are three things the central device is a square with two lines on the top yep. which represents a painting hanging on a wall and then usually on top of it is a light bulb a source of light a source of light which is you know a metaphor for illumination of the mind but yeah. also of knowledge um yes filters um brightness dullness both mm. yeah because there's a and also with the colors most things most things are <laughs> it's the rash, the rash. <laughs> <laughs> it's come out most things are i'm in babs <laughs> patient advocate in all <laughs> contexts <laughs> Um, don't worry, it's not contagious. Don't worry, Peter, yeah, it's, not, it's contagious. not contagious. I do have some steroid cream I don't need anymore if you want to use it. Get hooked. Peter, we promise you it's not contagious. We're all friends. Yeah. Um, and then the third part of this is um, the silhouette of the back of a person looking at the artwork. Um, so that's kind of your recurring thing is a person looking at an artwork the mm. artwork is hanging on the wall and there's mm. an illumination on top of it mm. and then you show these symbols again and again often in circuits mm. so like you've done a lot of paintings which show that square with the lines on top of mm. them in a as if it's a symbol in like an electric circuit mm. sometimes with the breakage and affecting the light yep. and then on top of that you also use the symbol for infinity a lot no, that's an S. It's an S. It, it's, okay. yes. What does S mean? Because no, because I'm mm -hmm. wondering what, yep. what like these ideas of continuity mean mm -hmm. for you in a practice that uses repetition a yep. lot. Um, so we've got the three things. We've got someone who's looking, something that's being looked at and the necessity uh, for illumination. If there's no, if in that scene, uh, whether it's a, something we call a work of art or something we call not a work of art, mm -hmm. doesn't matter. It's someone looking at something mm -hmm. uh, and there's a kind of an equal sign going on because we're establishing meaning or uh, we're trying to either divine a meaning that's supposedly there or else we're imposing our meaning upon uh, something. Mm -hmm. um, mm, so there's, there's the person, the object and there's the source of of light, which is knowledge, illumination, all of that. Uh, as to, uh, so the, the square that you refer to, that's the frame and the idea of something being, uh, it's 
authorities provide frames uh, through naming, uh, through uh, legal determinations of edges of objects, mm -hmm. and, so, and usually someone and some authority, and this goes back to your conversation about structural, the system, and whether one can get outside at any stage. Uh, so what I'm trying to do is break down the, the idea of the thing in itself, which I think is the fundamental and uh, fundamental unit, and, ev and even question the notion of units and unitary of uh, the politic and society and all the rest, where everything is a separate entity and there are negotiations between entities and laws established in terms of hierarchies and, and values of one for another and so forth. So what that line, those lines are doing, as well as physically hanging the painting so it doesn't fall to the floor, uh, it's showing that the work uh, it has been elevated in front mm -hmm. of us. It's actually demonstrating that as opposed to uh, over the last 50 years, museums tend to show paintings, say, as your archetypal object of art, uh, they're, they're floating on the wall. Mm -hmm. And uh, on Instagram, for instance, uh, my Valentine's image uh, were a man and a woman uh, in front of some paintings on the wall. There are no strings. And, she's, and the conversation is, darling, yes, darling, <laughs> why are the paintings floating? <laughs> and that, that's we don't see that anymore. We no see strings attached. No Ooh. strings attached. <laughs> yeah. It's exactly this. <laughs> so this is about saying no. There are strings attached. There are always strings attached. Oh, that's good. The, the paintings hang on the wall by the strings of the curators mm. and the gallerists and the, the whole system that have chosen these paintings to be here. And uh, if those strings are cut, the, as on the back of Dagger Definitions, mm -hmm. you see the painting falls down. Yeah, and it's. As simple as it is, I think it's basic to a description of the culture. One, the culture that likes to uh, to divide and conquer. So everyone is is a unit, a negotiable unit. Whereas if we're all connected, uh, then that's that system breaks down. You know, if self and other uh, are, are closer to a description, not of a singularity, but just of well, the first line of my title is detail and it's such a small word but I think it's uh, it's radical because it's a lowercase d and so if you're looking at the work of art on the wall you've exp you you have a limited knowledge of art you think it's paintings okay here's a painting it it affirms what I expected what what's the title the first line is detail so that's a, that's unusual and a detail is a part of something larger and I don't tell you where it stops mm. so you're and then the second line says it's a person looking at a work of art that's me I'm a person but I'm outside the work of art but then the work of art doubles it again so you've got this meta thing and so I think all of your for the listeners <laughs> that don't know all of Peter's artwork since in the 70s are titled the exact same thing so when the, you go to the show each work is titled yeah. detail lowercase d a person looks at a work of art and then I qualify that second line because some people might say, yeah, but that's not a work of art. So <laughs> the third line... I've, has anyone ever said that to you? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's basic, you know. Well, um, the culture <laughs> likes... Uh, art in the past has been one of those things everyone thought they had a right 
to talk about. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't studied it, but you know, that's not work. That's not art, mate. Yeah. You know, <laughs> my six-year-old child and all that stuff. Mm. So if, if the second line person looks at the work of art, someone says, "Yeah, but that's not a work of art." So the third line takes the heat out of it and says, "Someone looks at something." So this is <laughs> undeniable. Yeah. Uh, True. For most, for most. Yeah. I am someone. This is something okay, and it's a detail. It's part of something larger. Yeah. What? Well, that's what you've got to decide. And my answer is everything. Wait, is that logos? Ha ha. Uh, that's part of language. Yeah. So that's the aspect of how we describe things. Uh, so it's a detail of all language, and all subject, verb, object, full stop, sub, self, action, other. Full stop, self, action, other, full stop. And so that's why I have logos, ha ha, because from this mouth, which is trained um, to speak in terms of usually subject, verb, object, and then clever variate, like a jazz player, clever variations on that, um, I say um, which is I was, was taught not to say, so that's an aberration. Mm -hmm. So ha ha is that. Uh, understanding that while the Logos is trying to perfectly speak the world into being, uh, we make mistakes and uh, we, we grammatically mismake the world into being. And when we burp and fart, <laughs> in relate, well, you know, Logos comes from Greek and the speaking into being, and from the Christian, it's the word of God mm -hmm. made flesh and all that, in the same way as we say the word, oh, we vibrate the air with the sound table. Another way of saying that is we say the word table, but actually what we're doing is we're choosing to vibrate the air and our receptors have been trained to register that and go across to the board and say table, but we all pick a different table. Um, so that, that's what's happening and that's a really... When you are thinking it or, or aware, observing, yes, being aware at that level, then it all gets very loose and starts to... Uh, to all flow in and out of each other, and that's why, like a lot of my works, are, are cross-referential. Oh, and you and so you mentioned that kind of matrix. Uh, so there's a yellow matrix goes through it all, where there's a series of these squares or frames, and they're all connected to other frames, and that just becomes a matrix of everything out of which, f out of everything at this moment, we appear. Mm -hmm and um, kind of energise the world into being. Um, and then, you know, I suppose dust to dust, ashes mm. to ashes is another version of the matrix. Mm -hmm. um, Organisation happening and unhappening. And, uh, and it's all in just that simple act of, of looking. And it doesn't, yeah, so I'm not interested in the differences between when I go into a gallery, there's never... A, and um, there's never any work in there that, is, to me, is more interesting than seeing someone standing in front of it, particularly if they have that look like the child had at the block and they're saying, deeply saying, what is this? What is this? What yeah. is this? And like yeah. focusing, yeah, thinking about oneness and connection, but then using a frame to say, well, this is, this is one part of that whole thing and what, how does it feel for me now looking at it? Yeah, it's... Um, it's both recognition. Uh, it's, I suppose it's it's wonder. Uh, it's the two aspects of wonder. Uh, one is awe, un unspeakable awe, and the other is uh, I wonder. Uh, it's questioning. It's I interrogating. Mm. They're both happening at the same time. Uh, mm. Mm. 
So the matrix you've referred to, it looks like um, diamonds, yellow mm-hmm. diamonds, one over the other. And Peter will use that as a background or on top of his works over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to ask you, because it's a Valentine's Day special, mm-hmm. uh, one of the works in the show is a big painting with the diamond lattice and text on it. And it says... The love dream of 22 slash 23 February 2000. I dreamed that the diamond matrix represents love because everything is shared. Memento Amari. Yes. What, what does love mean to you in that? Well, um, yeah, it's, it's very appropriate for, you, for your, <laughs> our, Faith, our Valentine's. Faithful. It is. Um, well, it was a dream, so it's an understanding about what it is I've been dealing with. I suppose, uh, so it's the kind of like the ultimate integration. What do you mean by that? Um, well. Uh, Who's integrating or what, well, what are the entities that are integrating? Uh, lovers. Okay. We, we're all, so you know, that's all these Beatles songs come back to mind, you know, lovers all you need <laughs> was the one I was thinking before. Um I was thinking of a song before when you were describing, is it the pop bellies or something who sing, I see you watching her, watching me, watching him, something like yeah. that? No, but that sounds good and very like Peter's show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well. Yeah. Rogue traders. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, y- you were giving personal stories before. Here's one I haven't shared before. Okay. But um, uh, my partner Christine we were together for 39 years and she died 10 years ago uh, and I can remember particularly one d- one time when we were fucking making love etc etc sorry <laughs> I, I, I may be <laughs> drifting away here um, but just absolutely losing self and I, I didn't know whether I was her or I was me um, so I've never done any tantric sex um, exercise or anything like that but I, I know the descriptions about it but I remember this experience where there was there was no separation between us and I was aware that I'd lost my sense of self and felt I was as much her as I was me. I'm crying, Peter. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> I moved to tears. It goes back to our Dwarfland oh, debate. It's like yes, how... Well, it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with oh. us. Yeah, But how, how can we speak about love as a contract between two separate beings versus... Yeah. Being Just integrated. Ultimate integration. Yeah. I, I, yes, it, it's largely at a theory a theoretical level, but I think it's at a level where we can see um, that it's it's on a spectrum and it's possible to achieve. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm always a crier. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. I just love love. What can oh. I say? <laughs> oh. I moved. <laughs> so I'm wondering in... I, this is something you... I didn't you think I was going there tonight. Yeah. Well, yes, no. we, got, we got you back. Let us take you back. If anyone wants to come sit on this couch. All is lost. Um, all is gained. So you've right. spent all these... we we got to move on. But you've spent all these years practising this specific repetition of symbols and mm. ideas. Mm. And obviously that's going to really impact young people who are trying to be critical of the messages they're receiving and so on. Mm. But where you are in your life now, you've been practicing this thing, painting it, drawing mm. it, doing whatever. Uh, how does 
that match up with how you've experienced it in your like own life? Like you speak about theory mm. of oneness, mm. but do you feel that? Yes. Uh, everything, uh, everything that comes out of my work. I was speaking with my friends today about uh, theory, uh, th theory of art and theory of painting and practice of painting and so forth and pointing to certain examples and saying, look, this is really eccentric or unexpected here in this paint and it's quite obvious that there is something that is going on here which is not an illustration of anything prior to its existence but in retrospect because I'm sort of constantly uh, turning on this same point of engagement, uh, self, other, light, question mark, realisation. Th this, this seems to be the where the light is on the stage, on the self, other and light, that seems to be the hot spot for me. So I ju for 50 years I keep kind of um, like a mantra or mm, a, it's a, a meditation. Yes, mm. it's, it's a concentration and it just keeps uh, yielding a little bit more. And I've, I've said perhaps since to some of the people occasionally giving talks, um, it might seem like a lot and complex, but if we each, own, over 50 years, if we only have one half intelligent thought <laughs> and I think I've I had one good thought like I think you did it's pretty good years ago yeah but uh, that adds up <laughs> that adds up to 50 50 thoughts in 50 years time that's more than we need um, and uh, every every day I'm kind of I'm still buzzing on on that core theme and it's uh, and doing the you know I carry my little spirex thing around the jot last night, lights on at two o'clock, jot down something to do with um, mm, the appearance of things floating and how they might, the mechanisms behind <laughs> that might sustain them, you know, so I'm already thinking I'm going to attack that, uh, that kind of false misrepresentation from now on and so I, all the time I'm on this but it's, it's not doer because it's cracked. You know, the, like Cracked Magazine, Mad Magazine. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's Logos, ha-ha. It's not Logos. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, de I'm dealing with relative ord uh, things, ordinary things all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but they're all cracked. There's uh, something very contemporary about the Logos, ha-ha, as well. Yeah. Didn't you think? Like, ha-ha. Ha-ha, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Peter's been running a blog daily, Logos mm. slash ha-ha. Um, so yeah, no no stranger mm. to internet culture. Yeah, and then that you you started off talking about um, uh, the uh, what was it the strategy um, uh, recession recession strategies yeah. and so forth, which is a term Peter Cripps, one of our group, talked about. But the blog uh, has cost me nothing, mm. and there are over two thousand entries there. And if that was published as a book, it'd be super massive. And so it's meant when I've had no money, and often I've had no money. I've been able to enter at, at, at an extraordinary level, um, you know, just doing a blog and putting mm. up some images and a few texts and to, to have that, uh, that, you know, Marxism and so forth, the means of production uh, available potentially to the whole world. I mean, of course, the whole world never listens, but uh, it, does, it doesn't matter because it's in one sense it's just me constantly... Uh, organising my thoughts and saying, you know, if you give a shit, you're welcome to come and share this <laughs> joke with me. And if not, it, it's useful for me and I'm having fun. Um, 
yeah, so mm, I suppose one of the lessons is find a way to do things. Don't, don't, uh, don't let a light or a filter get stuck if you're an artist or, or any practitioner. Um, don't allow things to stop you doing what you want to do because there are ways to do it. You know, just a, a, like for me, uh, every year I do thousands of little drawings on my Spyrex paper. And for me, they they have all the equivalence and meaning um, of, a, of a massive painting. It's just a simple matter to decide. Oh well, if you want this as a painting, I'll do it. But uh, it's not inherently better or worse. Um, there there are lots of ways to to be active and yeah. So mm. just just do it. That Ju seems like a pretty. That's good right. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a good way to end. Yes, it could almost be a corporate thought, couldn't I, it? I mean, <laughs> makes you think. <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to say, perhaps? We, we, we do a could final reflection. No, we. I, I thank <laughs> you for giving me the yeah. opportunity. Thank but you so we, much we for coming. To oh, it's, my, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Honestly, I we could it. chat forever. We could. But the bottom line is, it's a detail. A detail of a longer chat. People need to go to see this Buxton show and. Alongside it, if you're curious, I would really recommend looking up Peter's show, by contrast, that was last year at Castlemaine Art Museum. There's a, a catalogue essay online which really has like a different spin because this was really focused on place and framing in the museum and particularly the role of the right angle. And I think <laughs> bringing those that essay together with this show would do people a lot of good. <laughs> uh, so please do it. And uh, we've, we're sorry the catalogue's late. But there'll be a catalogue which has, I think, every image in the show in it. Cool. And um, uh, Claire Roberts has written an essay, and Claire's someone I've uh, been close to for a long time. Uh, Doug Hall has written an essay, and I've known Doug, uh, former Queensland director, uh, since we were kids at school in Bendigo. And there's a 12,000-word a talk we've, um, that I gave at Gertrude Street in 1990, Whoa. and we've dug that out. And chopped it down a little bit but um but that's going to be uh represented as well yeah people it's seem to like that it's a pleasure to visit <laughs> the show peter and coincidentally very close to m pavilion so maybe any visitors to our show can oh. go and check it out as a double whammy oh to, 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 to do half would be foolish <laughs> <laughs> All right. thanks thank for joining you. us thank peter. you thank you Shabuya, My name is Margaret. Margaret, they call me Margie. Margie, I'm here to show you, show you how to organize your boot better, boot better. First, you buy my product, product. Then I retire in Indonesia. Buy the big booty by Margaret now on Etsy. Dynamic and inspiring ad from our very own Jackie Bam. Um, we're wrapping up the show tonight. We're going to talk about Jim Chalmers' capitalist essay, but it was really not that interesting. So I think we'll send it home for tonight. It's been so nice to chat with Peter that, you know, why go on and talk about an essay about capitalism? It would really bring down the vibe. Um, so thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Babs, any final thoughts you want to share? Nah, this, it's been really good to be here. Thank you, one and all. As we sweaty. are all one, <laughs> yes. a little bit sweaty. <laughs> yes. We'll see yes. you at M Pavilion on March 4th. 
Uh, turn up, tune in, drop out. We are going to wrap up today with a sneak preview of one of our fabulous DJ's tracks. Slam. And quickly before we move on, just worth saying, you should get there at 4 p.m. sharp because that's when the show will commence. I repeat, get there at 4 p.m. sharp. This is Return by Slam Ross 1000 and Primary Thug released on Dance Party Records this week. Thank you and good night. As Peter says, he's down with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> 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 <laughs>